Well, if you have your Bibles, please open them to the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. This has been just a joy to study this great epistle with you these last number of weeks, and normally it's my preference to cover larger sections of scripture on a given Sunday, but as we come to verses 1 to 9, the truths in this passage have been so rich and so practical that I felt the need to just slow down and to savor every bit of what Paul is saying here. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at one simple verse in this passage, and that is Philippians 4, verse 9. And let's read this text together. Paul writes this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. As you look at this text, we might be tempted at first to gloss over the teaching of verse 9. It seems like such a short, simple verse. Normally in our reading of Philippians, we would briefly look over it and then move on to the more familiar teaching of verses 10 to 13. But as we consider the teaching of verse 9 carefully, we realize that we come to really what is the climax of this passage. This is the conclusion and the culmination of all that Paul has to say in verses 1 to 9. If you've been with us in our study, you know that this passage is dealing with final exhortations to the Philippian church. Paul is giving his last words of counsel and encouragement to the church. He's exhorted the church to stability in verse 1. He's exhorted the church to unity in verse 2. In verse 4, he exhorted the church to joy Verse 6, he's exhorted the church to prayer. And in verse 8, he exhorted the church to purity. And so Paul is just sharing his heart. This is his final words of exhortation. He's just giving, summarizing all the things that are on his heart for the Philippian church. And as we come to verse 9, we come to really what is the climax of this passage. This uh, verse, verse 9, has been called the crown jewel of the final exhortations that Paul has in this text. And I believe that this verse is not only the key to understanding what Paul is saying in verses 1 to 9, it's really the key to what Paul is saying in this entire letter. I believe that this verse is the key that will unlock the power of the book of Philippians to our hearts if we understand what Paul is saying in verse 9. Paul draws his thoughts to a conclusion and to a climax saying, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Simply said, what Paul is saying here is he's calling the church to put into practice the things they have learned. To put into practice the things they have learned. He's calling the church to practice God's truth. We might say what what Paul is saying here. He's he's calling for the application of the word of God to the daily life of the Christian. He's calling the church to obey the word of God. He's calling the church to be doers of the word and not just hearers. He's calling the church, you've heard the truth, you've learned the truth, you've seen the truth, you've received the truth, you believe the truth. Now, I want you to practice God's truth. I want you to move from the learning of the word of God to the application of the word of God to your lives. Now, you might think that this call to application of God's word would be a given. I mean, you would think that as Christians, as we learn the word of God and as we read the word of God, as we listen to the word, as we memorize the word, that as long as we just 
listen to the word of God diligently, then the application will take care of itself. But you and I know differently if you've been a Christian for any length of time. The application of God's word does not automatically happen. And it is one thing to learn the word of God and to receive it with faith, and it is quite another to actually be diligent in putting it into practice in your life. Last week I talked to you about the necessity of reading the word of God of memorizing the Word of God, of listening to the Word of God. And we could add to that meditating on the Word of God. We could add studying the Word of God. And yet all of those things are incomplete if we fall short of actually applying the Word of God, of practicing the things that we have learned. What Paul is saying here in the climax of this passage is I've I've talked to you about joy. I've talked to you about stability. I've talked to you about unity. I've talked to you about humility. Now, the things that you have learned and you have heard and seen in me, I want you to practice these things. Don't fall short of application. Don't fall short of actually putting into practice the things that you have heard. Pastor Rick Holland has written these words. He said, it's too easy to think that if we have appreciated or just plain liked a quote, a book, a sermon, or a blog post, that we have accomplished the intended effect of that truth. But appreciation of God's truth and application of God's truth are two very different things. Don't misunderstand. We should have a deep and abiding appreciation and attraction to biblical truth. However, What a difference there is in being able to point to a measurable and evident change in our thinking and behavior because of something we have learned. He says appreciation of God's truth should lead to application of God's truth. And this is where Paul is exhorting the church. He's saying, you are a church that appreciates God's truth, but don't fall short of application, of practice. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones has written this about the necessity of applying the word of God. He said, you can be a great student of the Bible and live a life that is contrary to it. There are many such people, alas, He says, there have been many whose chief hobby in life has been the dissection and analysis of the Bible, but they often failed at some of the most elementary principles of the Christian life. It is a masterpiece of Satan to make us put theory and practice into separate watertight compartments. It is Satan's work to make men so interested in the Bible that they forget to apply the teaching of the Bible to their lives. And brothers and sisters, that's the question that I would ask us this morning. Have we forgotten to apply the teaching of the word? Are we falling short of practicing God's truth? You know, as I looked at my life, I felt this message was for me because this is where my life fall so short. I mean, I went to seminary. I've learned biblical languages. I can speak theology. I can talk to you about the ins and outs about dispensationalism versus covenant theology and the different rapture views and the different views on the millennium. I could talk all these, about all these deep theological things and yet the question that God had for me in this text is, Dan, are you practicing the truth? Are you a man who loves Christ? Are you a humble man? Are you a man who obeys my word? Are you a man who loves others? Are you a man who who loves people in the church, who who loves the lost? Those are the kind of things that I realize that that my knowledge does not necessarily match up to my application. I know far more than I actually apply. And brothers and sisters, when when it comes to this thing where we, we know far more than we apply, and we are content just simply to know God's truth and to appreciate it and to say, well, that was a good sermon, and that really moved me and touched me, and 
and yet we fall short of actually putting these things into practice, the end result can be pride. The end result can be we become sermon connoisseurs. We're just content to listen to different teachings and say, well, that was good. Well, that wasn't as good. And and we miss the point that God is speaking to us and he's calling us to apply his word in our everyday lives. James chapter 1, verse 22, James said, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, I love how James talks about how there needs to be perseverance in this application. I mean, I've had this happen so many times. I listen to a great message on Sunday, and I'm convicted, I'm blessed, I'm encouraged, I'm inspired. I'm going, wow, that's such a powerful truth in my life. And then after a, a two-hour lunch, and after watching a couple hours of football, and after playing with the kids, and after maybe watching an hour of 60 minutes, you know, by 8 o'clock on Sunday, I've forgotten. What did I learn this morning? And what James is saying here is that it's so easy to forget the things that we have learned. There needs to be perseverance. There needs to be follow-through. There needs to be a translation, a diligent application from what we hear on Sunday to what we do on Monday. That we become doers of the word and not just hearers. And we practice the things that we have learned. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 21, that obedience to the word of God is the mark of true saving faith. If you want to see someone who has a true faith, a genuine faith, watch how that faith expresses itself in obedience. Verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus isn't saying that we're saved by our obedience. He's saying we are saved by faith. And yet, if our faith is real, it will express itself in obedient application of God's word to our lives. Jesus goes on to say in verse 24 that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, there are two kinds of hearers. There is the wise and the foolish. The wise man hears the word of God and puts it into practice in his life and he builds his house on the solid foundation of the rock. The foolish man hears the word of God and does not put it into practice and he builds his house upon the sand. What you'll note is that these two types of hearers both hear the word of God. They both listen to the truth. They both are exposed to the teaching of Jesus, and yet the difference between the wise and the foolish is what do they do with the word of God after they have heard it? Listening without practice is building your house upon a sandy foundation. Jesus said in John thirteen seventeen, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing is not in the knowing. The blessing is in the knowing and the doing. It's in the practice of the truths that we have learned. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Your love for me will be expressed in a diligent obedience to my word. In John 15, 14, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. There's a a special intimacy that comes with Christ as we obey his word. 
John Calvin said that obedience is the mother of the knowledge of God. If you want to know Christ and be intimate with Christ, give careful attention to applying His Word to your life and don't neglect practicing God's truth. Psalm 119, the psalmist spoke of his intense desire not only to know the Word of God and to learn the Word of God, but to put it into practice in his life. Verse 5, he said, Oh, my, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. Verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. Verse 59, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Verse 69, the insolence smear with me lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Verse 88, in your steadfast love give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Verse 112, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. You know, brothers and sisters, is that our heart as we come to the word of God? Is that our heart as we sit under the teaching of God's word? Is our heart not only to learn the truth? Is our heart not only to receive the truth? Is our heart not only to believe the truth, but to actually follow through in perseverance in being doers of the word and not just hearers? To incline not only our hearts, but our walk, that they would be in conformity to God's word. The heart of the scribe Ezra is very instructive for our lives. Ezra 7 verse 10 says, For Ezra has set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra wanted to do three things, and they're inseparable. He wanted to, first of all, study the word of God. He wanted, secondly, to obey the word of God. And then thirdly, he wanted to teach the word of God. You notice that Ezra didn't shortcut the process. He didn't just want to study and then teach. He wanted to study and then apply and then teach the word of God. Joshua 1 verse 8, the Lord exhorted Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. And why, Joshua, do you need to meditate on the word day and night? So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You know, I'm like you. I'm tempted to think that, you know, if I sit under a good sermon, and if I go, wow, you know, that you get the wow factor. There's, the sermon had wowed me, and I just appreciate, wow, that teaching was so good, and it, and it moved me emotionally, that that's all that I need. You know, I'm spiritual. I'm holy, because... Because I sat under the teaching of God's word. And yet what Paul's point in Philippians chapter 4 verse 9 is that learning the word of God does not necessarily translate into practicing God's truth. And so he exhorts the church to diligent application. So let me give you two simple points this morning as we look at this text. First of all, I want you to look at the exhortation in verse 9. And then secondly, I want to give you some encouragements as we look at this verse. First, the exhortation. What is Paul's exhortation to the church? Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul here uses four different verbs to describe how the Philippians eagerly and sincerely received the word of God. The Philippians were a teachable church. He says, first of all, you've learned the word of God. I mean, Philippians, I have no doubt that you have learned the truth of God's word. And that word 
learned in the original language is really an intimate term. It's not speaking so much of learning in the sense of intellectual knowledge. It's really talking about learning with your heart and with your mind. It's related to the word disciple, which means that Paul was personally teaching the Philippian church and they were personally receiving the truth that they had heard. The idea here is that they learn the word of God with their, with their hearts and with their lives. And he says, not only have you learned the word of God, you've received the truth. And the word received is really a technical term that's used throughout the scriptures to describe a Christian responding to the truth with faith. Paul is saying, Philippians, you combine the listening of the word of God with faith in the word of God. You believe the truth. You responded by trusting in the message that you have heard. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. That was the response of the Philippians. They said, this is God's word. This is God's truth. We believe it. We trust it. We rest in it. We're going to receive it into our hearts. And so they learned the word of God. They received the word of God. And then Paul says that they heard and saw the truth of God as it was lived out in the apostle Paul. Those last two words refer to Paul's example of living out the truth. And the Philippians had seen Paul's example as he ministered with them. And then when he left to minister in other regions, they had heard of how he was conducting his life. And so Paul is just affirming here that the Philippians had been teachable to God's truth. They eagerly received the word of God into their hearts. You know, as a pastor, you can tell if a church is teachable to God's word. You know, I've spoken in a few different churches and there have been very, very, various different responses. I mean, to be honest, there's been some churches where it's been a very difficult to teach the Word of God. I mean, there was just resistance to the truth of God's Word. I remember being in one church and there was a guy just, who just so happened to sit right in front of me and he was... You know, I'm, I'm trying to pour out my heart to the Word, and he, he stretches out his arms, just yawns, this big yawn, and, and, and I'm like, well, that's not really encouraging for me right here. And, and I mean, I don't mind if you're tired and you, you yawn, but you have to stretch out your arm and, and show me your mouth. And I mean, it just, I mean, you have those kind of receptions when it comes to the Word of God. And then there's been churches where you speak at and you just open the bible and say the name jesus and they're crying and they're just like this is the best message i've ever heard it's they're easily edified they just have a tender heart toward the word of god and you know the philippians were like the second kind of church they were just so tender to god's word they loved god's truth they learned and received and saw and they heard and they just wanted to learn the word of god they filled paul's heart with joy And you know, at this point, we would be tempted to say that as long as they are teachable to God's word, that's all they need to be. You know, as long as they listen to teaching and they're tender and they're hungry and they're just affirm and they just say, oh, that's just the best teaching we've ever heard. As long as a church is like that, that's all they need. You know, as a pastor, we're done. We don't need to go any further than that. Just leave them alone because this is a church that wants to learn God's word. But as a pastor, Paul was not content with that. He wanted the Philippians to move beyond the learning of God's word to the practice of God's word. And he tells the Philippians, as wonderful as it is that you have learned the word of God, I'm exhorting you to something further, and that is to put it into practice. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. You know, that term practice is a very interesting word. It's uh, 
word that emphasizes continual obedience. It's similar to the word in the Greek, which means to do, but it has the idea of repetition to the point where it becomes a habitual practice of your life. You know, we might talk of a lawyer who opens a practice. And what we mean by that is that the lawyer is not just doing law once in a while, but he is in an ongoing, continual sense practicing law. It becomes a way of life. Or we might talk of a violinist who practices his instrument. And what we mean by that is he doesn't just crack open his, uh, his violin case once every month, but he is continually on an ongoing basis putting into practice the skills that he has learned. And what Paul is calling for is when you receive, you've received these exhortations to stability, you've received these exhortations to humility and unity, you've received these exhortations to joy and to prayer and to purity of mind, and now as you have received and learned these things, practice them. Apply them in your life. Repeat them in such a continual way that they become to characterize your life. You know, brothers and sisters, I just have to share with you that through our study of the book of Philippians, you have been a great church. I just say that with all sincerity. Um, No one's fallen asleep as far as I can tell. No one's yawned right in front of me and discouraged me. You have been... You have been humble and teachable to the word of God. You have been nothing but a joy in your response to God's truth. I just thank God for our study of this book, and I just thank God for you and your tenderness to the Holy Scripture and your desire to learn and to receive all that God has spoken in his precious word. And at the same time, I would press you where Paul presses here in verse 9. Are you applying these truths in your everyday life? We've talked about joy in trials. Brothers and sisters, are you applying that truth? Are you rejoicing in trials and experiencing God's peace? We've talked about humility in relationships, just seeing the example of Christ, how he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And how we as Christians are called to follow in his examples and to humble ourselves before one another. And brothers and sisters, I would just ask you this morning, are you applying that truth? The things which you have learned and heard, are you practicing these things in your life? We've talked about the pursuit of Christ and how Christ is our all-surpassing treasure. How there's nothing else in life that compares to the surpassing value of knowing him. And how Paul's example was to leave everything that lay behind and to press forward to what lies ahead. To press on toward the goal of knowing Christ and making him known. And brothers and sisters, I would just ask you this morning, are you applying that truth to your life? Are you, have, you, have you just looked at that and said, well that's beautiful, that's excellent, I'm so encouraged, I'm blessed, or have you moved from that blessing to the actual application where it has changed the way that you live your life from Monday to Saturday? Paul wants the Philippians to know that he appreciates how they've learned the truth. But he also wants them to know that he is not content with them only learning the truth, he will be filled with joy as they practice these things in their lives. That's the first point, the exhortation. Let me move to the second point and just give you some encouragements. Let me give you some practical encouragements to respond to this verse and put the word of God into practice in your life. And the first encouragement I would give to you is that if you want to practice God's truth, if you want to apply it to your life, read the word of God as if it was written for you. Read the word of God as, it was, as if it was written for you. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, that if you are a child of God, then the word of God was written for you. For you. You know, we can get in the rut and we can get in the habit of reading the Word of God like it's some impersonal textbook. 
like it's just a text to be studied. We can become dry and intellectual about how we study the Word of God. I heard of a, an acquaintance who went to seminary and studied God's Word as a textbook for years to the point where he can't open his Bible without just reading it intellectually because he tr- he's been trained to read the Word of God as a textbook and not as God's Word in his life. And brothers and sisters, may we just be on guard against that. Read the Word of God as if it was written for you because the truth is it was written for you. The promises in God's Word are promises for you, brothers and sisters. The warnings in God's Word are warnings given for you. The exhortations in God's word are exhortations that were meant to be applied to you. The blessings in God's word are blessings that are given to you. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, it's one thing to open your Bible on a daily basis and just kind of read and just kind of, These are general truths, and okay, I learned something, and now I'm going to go on with my life. And it's another to open the Word of God and to say, God, what is the truth that you want me to learn today? What is the blessing you want me to receive today? What is the encouragement that you have for my heart? What is the rebuke that you want me to consider? What is the correction that you want to speak into my life today? Brothers and sisters, don't read the word of God as if it was written for everyone else but you. Read the word of God as if it was written for you because it was written for you and it was written for me. We are meant to read this text in a personal manner and to respond to the word of God as God ministers to us through his word. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but you can get in the rut of you listen to a sermon and you're just thinking of the five people who really need to hear this truth. Boy, you know, if, if so-and-so were to hear this message, he would be really convicted, and he really needs to hear this. And I've, I've taught married couples, you know, in married couples and pillars where, you know, we're speaking on being a, a humble spouse or speaking on being a, a servant to your spouse, speaking of, you know, just... just um, being quick to forgive and all those things. And I'll see, you know, spouses kind of look at their husbands and kind of go, you know, boy, are you listening to this? Are, are you listening to this teaching? You really need to hear this. And the husbands are kind of like, well, are you listening? Because you really need to hear this truth. And, you know, we can do that. We're just like constantly deflecting the, you know, the word of God is for everyone else, but, for, but for, it's not for me. And I, and I can do this as a pastor. And any of us who study God's word, we're just reading the word of God as, and trying to apply it to other people. We're just like chefs in the kitchen that, that we're just so busy feeding other people we forget to eat ourselves. And, and what, what, what I would just encourage you with this morning is that the word of God was meant to be applied to us. That we were to open the word of God and to hear what God has to say to us. That to listen to each message and ask, what does God want me to learn? What is the encouragement that God has for me this day through the word that is being spoken to me? In the text, the Puritan Thomas Watson instructed his congregation to receive the teaching of God's word in this way. He said, take every word as spoken to yourselves. When the word thunders against sin, think that God means my sins. When the word presseth against any duty, say, God intends for me to apply this truth. He says that many put off scripture from themselves as if only concerned those who lived in the time when it was written. But if you intend to profit by the word, bring it home to yourselves. And the basic encouragement I'll just bring to you is this. Read the word of God as if it was written to you because it was written for you. And just the the basic truth I will say to you is this, is that if there is an indicative in Scripture, brothers and sisters, take pains to believe it. And if there is an imperative in Scripture, take pains to obey it. Don't read the indicatives of Scripture as if they apply to 
everyone else but not yourself. You know, that's my struggle in faith. That's my fight against unbelief. When I read of the indicatives of Scripture and what God has done for us in Christ and how he loved us so much that he sent his own son to die for our sins on the cross and how he forgave us of all our sins and how he's our father and how he's adopted us into his family and all of the glorious indicatives of Scripture, my battle of unbelief is I I tend to believe that those glorious truths apply to everyone, every other Christian, but not me. I mean, I know that God loves, loves you at Cornerstone. I know God loves the other people in the church, and I know that God embraces that, but, but I have this sense that God is looking at everyone in the church, and he's just filled with love, and then he sees this one guy, Dan Nod, and he's saying, ah, I don't know about that guy. I mean, everyone else, the blood of Christ covers their sins, but Dan, he's got, I don't know, he's got some problems. And I struggle with unbelief in Believing that those indicatives in Scripture are for me, they apply to me just as much as they apply to any other believer in Christ. And when you come to an indicative in Scripture, brothers and sisters, take pains to believe it for yourself. Take pains to own it for yourself. Take pains to rely upon that indicative in your own heart, in your own life. Not just for everyone else, not just for the church, but for you. It's for you. Those truths are for you. And even now, some of you are saying, Dan, I know you're speaking to everyone else, but not to me. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would apply this to you. Because the Bible was written, those truths are for us. They are for every single believer in Christ. We have had our sins nailed to the cross with Christ. We have had been adopted as children of God in Christ. Christ has gone to prepare a place for me, and if you read the Bible as if it is written for you, the Bible will come alive to your hearts. You know, when you read those texts where Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, and you can read that with some kind of clinical detachment. Yeah, that's something that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago, but when you read it for yourself, when you see that this is what Jesus is speaking to me today, those truths become powerful in our lives. And so if there is an indicative in Scripture, take pains to believe it. And brothers and sisters, if there is an imperative in Scripture, take pains to obey it. Those imperatives are for us. They're for you. And they are for me. And the Holy Spirit will make different applications of those imperatives to each one of our lives. You know, one of the beauties of the Word of God is that there's one interpretation, but there's many applications. Even as I'm speaking this morning, I'm speaking one verse, one truth, and yet the Holy Spirit's going to apply that in dozens of ways in your life. I mean, the Holy Spirit's just going to apply this and bring to mind practical things in each one of your life that are tailor-made, tailor-suited to your individual situation and your individual struggles. And he's just going to apply that in different ways that I can't manufacture. And I just encourage you to respond to that truth in a personal way. Read the Bible as if it was written for you because the Bible was written for you. The second encouragement I would give to you is this, real practically. Ask personal questions of the text of Scripture. Ask personal questions of the text of Scripture. I mean, one of the great ways we understand and learn Scripture is to ask questions of the text. Back in seminary, one of our assignments was to find a really short verse, and we were to ask 20 questions of this text. And by uh, question number nine, I was out of questions. I mean, question number 10 was like, um, why is there a period at the end of this verse? Question 11 was, why does this verse have, start with a capitalized letter? I mean, I was out of questions, and you're just straining to ask questions, and, and they're trying to teach us that one of the great ways to get the Word of God into your heart is just to ask questions. Asking questions of this text, like what, and why, and how, and how do these relate? But this morning, I would press you one step further. Don't just ask questions of the text, but ask personal questions of the text of scripture. Ask questions like, what does God want me to learn from this? What are the ways that God is encouraging me through this text? What are the sins that I need to repent of? 
What are the duties that I need to fulfill? What are the promises that I need to believe? What are the wrong patterns of thinking that I need to correct? What are the attitudes in my life that God is addressing in this text? What are the ways that God is leading me through this word? Donald Whitney encourages us that when we read the word of God to ask the following questions of the text. Does the text reveal something I should believe about God? You know, some of you are saying, Dan, you're talking about application, but so much of the Bible isn't, it's just, here's Christ. And I read the gospels and there's not a whole lot of application. It's just, look at Christ, here's Christ, watch Christ. And, and I would say to you, that is the application. The application is God wants you to look at Christ, but he wants you to look at Christ. In your life, your situation, he wants you to see Christ, you to savor Christ, you to treasure Christ, you to trust in Christ. Does this text reveal something I should believe about God? When he goes on to say, does this text reveal something I should praise God for? I mean, scriptures are just filled with things that we should praise God for. We should praise God for his faithfulness. We should praise God for his love. We should praise God for his mercy. We should praise God for his omnipotence. Does this text reveal something I should praise God for? I mean, if you read to start in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, and ask that question, what, does, what should I praise God for in reading Genesis 1? You have a whole lot of things to praise God for. Just praising him for his creation, praising him for his power, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his grace then I would encourage you to make immediate application of that. And don't just think about praising God, but praise God in your own words. Does this text reveal something I should pray about for myself or for others? Does this text reveal something I should have a new attitude about? Does this text reveal something that I should make a decision about? Does this text reveal something that I should do for the sake of of Christ, others, or myself. I realize that some of us may be struggling with this text because we don't see how it relates to the doctrine of justification. And I would just encourage you that the same Apostle Paul who wrote Philippians 4, verse 9, is the author who wrote Philippians 3, verse 9. In Philippians 3, verse 9, Paul said that I'm justified by faith alone. I have received a righteousness that is not my own, but it is the righteousness of Christ. It is a righteousness that has been imputed to me by grace, not through works of the law. And so I'm righteous in Christ. I'm complete in Christ. I, my works add nothing to what Christ has already done for me. And yet that same Apostle Paul also writes Philippians 4 verse 9 and says that just because we are not, we are not justified by works does not mean that our obedience has no significance. We are justified by faith and faith alone, and yet our faith expresses itself in obedience to God's word. And brothers and sisters, I would also press you with this, that our acts of obedience do please God. Our acts of obedience do please God. There's an apparent paradox in this, I realize. Positionally, it is only Christ's work that pleases God, and yet the scriptures make clear that as we obey the text of scripture, our acts of obedience do please God. Hebrews chapter 13 says, do good and share, for by such sacrifices we please God. And the scriptures also make clear that our acts of disobedience can displease God. It's in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Read the word of God as if it was written for you. Ask personal questions of the text of scripture. And then my third encouragement is the final encouragement. Take pains to remember the things you have learned. 
Take pains to remember the things you've learned. James chapter 1, verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. We are forgetful people. It is difficult for us to remember even what we have learned last week. And yet, we must, as James says, we must pursue the Word of God with perseverance and take pains to remember the truths that we've learned. You know, my um, daughter, she, um, we take pains to feed her. And... Um, well, you know, Mina will make a, a nice meal and she'll, she'll, like, she'll feed her and, and clean up. And then an hour after eating lunch, she'll look at us and say, when are we going to eat? <laughs> we'll say, what are you talking about? We just ate. You just ate an hour ago. And she's already forgotten the meal that she just had. And you know, that's, isn't that our experience as well in the church? We eat these rich spiritual meals around the word of God and yet... So easily do we forget the meals that we have eaten. Take pains to remember the things that God is teaching you. One practical suggestion is just to write it down. You know, some of you journal, some of you blog, some of you Facebook, some of you, uh, I don't know how many of you Twitter, I don't know um, if any of you are on Twitter, but I know that many of you write down the things that you have. Let me just encourage you to write down the things that God is teaching you. My Bible is a mess. It's filled with just markings and just scribbles all over the place because I, I just find that I, I need to write it down. If I don't write it down, I'm going to forget what God has taught me. And I would encourage you not just to write the, down the things that God is teaching you, but write down the specific ways the Holy Spirit is bringing application to your lives. You know, if I give the exhortation, love one another, some of you... You're going to, in your mind, and the Holy Spirit's going to apply that to your roommate. And you're just going to, the Holy Spirit's just going to give you a laser beam toward your roommate and saying that you need to love your roommate and serve your roommate. Some of you, it's going to be your spouse, it's going to be your wife or your husband. That's who the Holy Spirit's going to direct you to. And some of you, it's going to be your boss or your coworker. I mean, the Holy Spirit's going to apply that in many different ways. And I would just encourage you to write down those ways. How is the Holy Spirit making application of these truths in your life. And once you've written them down, let me encourage you to share them with others. One of the ways to battle a forgetful heart is to share the things that God is teaching you with others in the fellowship of the church and make that a part of your fellowship. You know, don't just come to care group with all your burdens. And don't just come to care group with all of the things that are going wrong in your life. Come to care group with the things that God is teaching you so that you can encourage and bless fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I have a car manual that's tucked into the glove compartment of my car. And when I got my car, I once flipped through that manual, and it was about as interesting as reading a dictionary. It was the most boring thing I've ever read. It had no relevance to my life. I don't know why anyone would write such a book or why anyone would read such a book. But then when a few years later, when my car broke down, Mina grabbed that manual, and we opened that book together, and we read it as if our lives depended upon it. We devoured its contents. We scrutinized every single word that was in that book, and we, we memorized the table of contents because it was that important to us. What was the difference between my first reading of the car manual and the second reading. It was that in the second time I read the car manual, it was with a view to immediate application. Immediate application to what was going on in my life. And brothers and sisters, I would say that if you read the Bible with the view to not just learning these things and hearing these things, but practicing things, it will revolutionize the way you read the text of Scripture because you will be reading it as if it was written for you, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And then he adds one of the sweetest words of affirmation that are in this book. He says, the God of peace will be 
with you. The God who is characterized by peace, the God who gives peace, the God who is the source of peace, he will be with you as you seek to apply these things to your life. Romans 15, 33, may the God of peace be with you all. Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice. The God of love and peace will be with you. And Hebrews 13, 20 ends with one of the, says one of the sweetest doxologies in the Bible. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom glory is forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us not only learn God's truth and receive God's truth and hear God's truth and see God's truth, let us also practice God's truth. And as we put these things into practice, the God of peace will be with us. Would you stand with me together? Let's stand together. We're going to close our service in a word of prayer. And let us uh, respond with gratitude for what God has taught us. Our Father, we thank you for your precious word. Lord, your word is the food for our souls. It is the nourishment of our hearts. Lord, thank you for tenderly shepherding us through your word. We sense your love for us as we receive the words that you have spoken. And Lord, we confess as your people so often being content to simply hear and not obey, to simply listen and not apply, to simply receive and not to practice. We confess that oftentimes we are hearers of your word who so easily forget and we are not doers of your word as we ought to be. Oh Lord, help us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in each of our hearts. Lord, we pray for the grace to believe the indicatives, all the gospel indicatives in the Bible. Lord, help us to believe them for ourselves. Help each Christian this morning believe that these indicatives apply to them, not just to everyone else in the world, but to them personally, specifically. That you died for them and you love them. That they are your child. And Lord, help us as we come to the imperatives of Scripture to obey them. Lord, help us. Give us grace. Your commands are not burdensome. They are the pathway of joy. Help us to diligently put them into practice that we may experience the blessing of your word. Do this work in each of our hearts, we pray. And we will give you thanks and praise. We ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.